Well, we're kind of moving in on the end of Psalm 23. Just got a few more verses and we'll be done. I don't know what we'll do after this, but there's some more, there's some, something more I can find in here. The Lord will lead us in. Amen. Psalm 23. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. Psalm 23, specifically looking at verse 5. Let's read the psalm one more time. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Father, we recognize your word has been anointed. Father, we saw that word made flesh dwelling among us. And Father, I pray now as we get into the word, our hearts and minds will be directed to you. And we'll realize the importance of application, not just simply hitting, hearing it, Lord God, for what good is knowledge without actually standing upon it? How are you exalted and what kind of faith do we have if we do not apply that which we have heard. And Father, give us the strength and insight and the courage, Lord, to allow Your Word, Your truth, to come forth in a way that uh, we let go and cling unto Your Word and touch Your life, touch others around. And You receive that glory and the honor, we pray. Amen and amen. Fear of amazing, um, missing out. FOMO. It's actually a condition that millenniums are facing today. It's the age known as FOMO. It stands for fear of missing out. I read a study that about 70% of the millennium generation, because they're on social media a lot, no kidding, they struggle with FOMO. They, they struggle with this fear of missing out. They have a desire right now, there's a desire in society, especially the young people, to keep up with everybody. And as a result of that, they have overbooked their calendars, overspent their money, overdrawn their credit cards, overloaded their emotions, overworked their bodies, overcrowded their days, overvalued the approval of other people. And as a result, they are overstressed, overanxious, and overwhelmed. Do you know anybody like that? A whole lot of folks are like that. And you say, well, why? Why is there this fear of missing out? Because they don't want to feel inferior. They don't want to feel inadequate. They don't want to feel unloved or left let out. And so this morning we're going to take ourselves from where we have been in the verse here in Psalm 23 and we're going to move on from being overwhelmed to being overflowing. That's what he said. He said in Scripture, you anoint my head with oil, my what? Cup overflows. My cup overflows. Pass the saucer, please. My cup's overflowing. You can approach life with a shortage mindset or the mindset of surplus. How do you live your life? What do you look at? There's two different fundamental differences. Two different ways of approaching life. There's a big difference. When I have a, a shortage mindset, it means I, I'll never have enough. I never will. 
And as a result of that, that desire to have more and feeling like I'll never have enough, it leaves us feeling overwhelmed. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough contacts, opportunities, knowledge, education, or whatever it is. I just don't have enough. It's feeling that you're always a little bit short and a day late. Ever feel like that? A nickel short and a day late? Sometimes I feel like that too. (laughs) So close. The Bible says that the shortage mindset is described in words with words like lacking and wanting and needing. In fact, there's a good example of this in 2 Kings chapter 4. There was a famine in the land. The prophet Elijah was there with his servant, and they're having this discussion about this famine. And the verse tells us this that one day, here's this fella, he arrives and he brings 20 loaves of fresh bread baked bread from an early harvest along with a few apples. And he gives it to the prophet, and he tells the prophet, I want you to pass it around to the people. Look at verse 43. Verse 43, the servant said, for a hundred men, this is from the Message Bible, it's not nearly enough. And what does the prophet say? Elijah says, what? Just go ahead and do it, because why? God said, it'll be enough. There's plenty. Well, I looked at that passage and I said, there's a perfect example of a shortage and a, the difference between a shortage mindset and then a, a surplus mindset. Now remember, there's a famine going on. And Elijah said, I want you to take the food that we have, these loaves of bread, these 20 loaves of bread, fresh bread, and I want you to give it out, give it to the people. And the servant says, there's not enough. So you have that shortage mindset versus that surplus mindset. Give it to him, the prophet said. God said there's plenty. And so what the scripture says is that's exactly what the servant does. He gives it to the people. He's probably handing out going, you know. And when this was all said and done, the scripture says they ate till they were full. And they still had some left over. Isn't that true? That happened one time too when the disciples are out there passing bread and fishes around, right? What happens? They're all done. There's, there's all these people to be fed. And they're, they're freaking out. What are we going to do? All we've got is a couple of fish, comes loaves of bread. What are we going to do with this? And it ends up with surplus. Mindset of shortage or mindset of surplus. That shirt, that, that shortage mindset or lifestyle says, I will never, I'm never going to have enough. The surplus mindset, I've got more than enough. That focus of the of the shortage mindset says this. I focus, I'm focusing on my limited resources. Look what I don't have. Look what I'm lacking. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. And as a result, your mind, you're gonna, well, you're gonna have a well overwhelmed life. You're going to feel like you're overwhelmed by everything that's going on in your life. You're always behind, always struggling. No matter how much you do have, no matter how much you have been blessed, there's that feeling, that unsettlement of, of what is going to be, and I can't, and that's not enough. Always struggling. And when you're in that shortage mindset, it's never enough. Never enough. Never enough. Never enough. You know, it's like, well, you think there's a piece of pie. And you think like someone's got a bigger piece than you got. 
and you don't think it's fair. Why should I have a smaller piece? We get this idea that there's just so much finance or so much blessing in the world and all those rich people, that 1%'s got it all, and what they need to do is got to give it to us. And because you've got that shortage mindset, you get ripped off, you get ticked off, you become frustrated, you become resentful for those who have. I have a smaller piece because you've got a bigger piece. Because you've got a bigger piece, my resources are limited. They get more, I get less. You become worried and anxious because there's just so much pie to go around. That's that shortage mentality and it leads to envy and jealousy and resentment and worry. It leads to insecurity. You know what God wants you to have? He wants you to have a more than enough. Look at those chocolate chip cookies sitting there. More than enough. Notice I did when I put that on the screen, I, I made it stretch above the screen. Because I want you to get the feeling, that, the feeling that there's more than enough. And that's what God wants. He wants us to have that, that lifestyle of a, of a surplus mentality. That God has more than I'll ever need. He'll never run out. And God doesn't just give us a piece of pie or, or give us the pie. He owns the factory. And what it means is He's going to give us more pie than we could ever, ever could imagine. He creates more and more and more. Amen. And the Bible uses words like uh, uh, abundance and plentiful and abounding and plentiful. Because God has more. Amen. Than everyone can ever need. Let me ask you something. Have you ever worried about the person sitting inside of you that they're stealing your air? Hey, you're taking too much air. Why is that? Because, you know, because God's created more air, enough for everybody. Plenty of it. Now, that's a, a surplus mindset because we know that God has limited resources and that because we have that understanding of God's limited res unlimited resources that it changes everything. He's got plenty. The Scripture says, He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. He gives me more than I can hold. That's what David was saying. Now, if you memorize the old King James, it says this, my cup runneth over. So, well, Pastor, what in the world is he talking about? My cup runneth over. No. My cup overflows. He's talking about having an overflowing life rather than an overwhelmed life. Again, you know, you go back to verse 1. We saw it several weeks ago how David said, God gives me everything that I need. Well, he's stepping it up. He's taking it one step further. Verse 5, he said, he's not giving everything. He gives me more than I need. It's not just enough. It's more than I need. Verse 5. You say, well, Pastor Bob, the cup. He's talking about the cup. You know, this cup runneth over. What's he mean by the cup? The cup represents your life. What David is saying, he's saying this, my cup runs over, he's saying my life is overflowing. I'm not overwhelmed anymore because I don't have enough time, energy or whatever it is, but instead I'm overflowing. It's just like a, a river coming out of me, my cup overflows. And that's a concept of Scripture. Jesus brought it up back in, in John chapter, oh, chapter 7. Remember, he's sitting there, it's a period of time right now. Scripture talks about it's the last day of the festival. Most important day of the festival. 
the temple of Jerusalem, he's outside there in the midst of it. He stands up in the crowd and he shouts to the crowd. Now, if you go back and look at it and study a little bit, you find out there's probably about 50,000 people there at the last day of the festival outside the temple. 50,000. Can you imagine the drama of these 50,000 people in this festive act? You know, it's the, and, and here comes Jesus, stands up in the middle of this crowd and says, If you're thirsty, come to me, everyone who really believes. Now notice what he says. Who really believes in me, you'll have rivers of living water flowing out of your life. What's he talking about here? Streams of living water flowing from within. Whoever believes in me, really believes in me, as the Scripture has said, not according to your imagination, not according to what other people have told you, not according to... No, as the Scripture has said. We've been dealing with that on Wednesday night, how important the Scripture is, the Word of God. As the Scripture says, Jesus said. I'll tell you what, when Jesus was talking there in John chapter 7, about living water and flowing from within you. He's talking, the same, he's, he's talking the same talk that David was about that cup running over. About a life not being overwhelmed, but a life that's overflowing. A life that says, I'm not worried about running short of anything. Because why? Because God is the source of my life, physical and spiritual, across the board. There's an overflowing life that He's called me to. And he says, anybody, Jesus said, anybody, anybody who believes in me, really believes in me, will have rivers of living water flowing out of their lives. What that actually means is, it's mean, he's saying, you'll have more than just head knowledge. More than just, you know, look what I've got. No, no, no. No. You're believing in the Son of God. God. That means you're trusting in Him. That means you're not only trusting, but you're clinging to Him. It means you're relying upon Him. It means that you depend upon Him. That's what Jesus was saying. You really, 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 really depend on me. If you really, really, really depend on me, your life's not going to be overwhelmed. Your life's going to be overflowing. And you say, okay, I like this idea of overflowing life. Sounds pretty good. Sounds neat. Well, what does it really mean? To experience an overflowing life literally means that you're filled beyond capacity with the endless supply of God's goodness. That's what an overflowing life is. To be, and one more time, because Nancy's taking notes, so I've got to make sure to say it again. It's to be filled beyond capacity with the endless supply of God's goodness. That's what an overflowing life is. And that's what I want for your life. That's what I want as your pastor, as a friend, I want that for all of our lives, to be filled beyond capacity to overflowing with an endless supply of God's goodness in our life. That's what we're looking for. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's what over life is all about. The Bible says use that metaphor of a cup in your life. It says a cup is your life. But he, and it's not just one time, not just with, with, with David here. No, no, no. If you study the scriptures, he talks about the cup. He talks about a cup of what? Beyond. Listen to me. Cup of joy. He talks about a cup of blessing. He talks about a cup of hope cup of, of peace, having a cup of salvation. cup comes up quite a bit. It's representing our life. The life of hope, that life of, uh, of joy, that life of, of salvation and of blessing, that life, that cup of God, our life in Him. 
He said, I want you to have this life. I want you to have this life that overflows with joy. I want you to have a life that overflows with hope and with blessing and with salvation. He said, well, why does he want it? Why? Why? Why does he want that? Because he's good. Good, y'all. <laughs> Amen. God is good, y'all. It's true. He is. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that. Because I'll tell you, if you really get that, if you really get that God is good, y'all, it'll change your life. It'll also change the way you speak, too. Amen. <laughs> because God, God is good in everything He does. Everything He does in your life and everything He does in my life, it's for my good. And I'm going to tell you what, sometimes we doubt that because we get some trouble coming. Some we brought upon ourselves, some we don't. And we, get, we begin to question that. Is God really good? I know we're going to get into some trouble once in a while. We're going to get this issue of worry and we're going to wonder when all kinds of problems come in our lives, but God is still good. He's good. And tough. Even when tough stuff comes into our life, He allows that stuff in our lives. What does it do? First of all, it reveals areas of weakness in our life, right? Things that need to, need to change. Sometimes we bring it upon ourselves and God has to discipline us a little bit. Sometimes it's just normal growth. It's, listen to me. I look at my life and say, <laughs> at this point I don't care why, Lord, give me an answer. I don't spend a lot of time looking at the problems. I say, I need a solution here at this point. I'm here. How did I get here? Hmm. You know, it's more or less where am I going than how did I got here because I'm here. I'm here, okay? I can't change how I got here. I'm here. I don't want to follow in it again. So if I, if I get his mind and I get his leading, I know that I won't go back here. We were talking about forgiveness yesterday and then fellowship. And, you know, we have a tendency to focus on a issue and we become issue focused. And we, we want to... Deal with forgiveness. Well, my issue has always been, forget about the issue. Get our eyes on our Christ. Amen. Begin to live your life according to His will and way. And you know what? Some of those things are going to drop away. We can get caught up in issues. And, all. and you know to yourself, if I tell you don't think about that, what are you going to do? You don't think about it. And I realize if I think about Him and His Word and apply it to my life daily, those issues drop away. So I don't need to be an issue preaching pastor. I just simply... Exalt the Lord in all things. Amen. And allow Him to make the changes in your life. And it'll be okay. These things will drop away. I've learned that over the years. Amen. God is good, even when things are tough. You know, in fact, there's a lot of passages of Scripture we could go to to talk about this, the goodness of our God. In fact, as I go to Isaiah chapter 48, look what it says. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who what? Now, this is important. I am the Lord your God who sets you free. I am the Lord your God who heals you. Notice he says, I am the Lord your God who what? Teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. I love that passage. Because sometimes we'll only hold on to the fact he's the God of our salvation, God of hope, God of healing. Yes, he is all those things. But we forget that he wants to teach us. Why does he want to teach us? to prevent some of the stuff we get ourselves into, to teach us, we might learn. I'm the Lord God who teaches you what is best for you. And that may be different for everybody. What's best for me might be different from you. Uh, what's best for you? Aren't you glad he's a personal God who understands that? We're not all cookie-cutter Christians, you know, and all. No, no, no. Everybody, every one of us got different experiences. Every one of us has got different issues we've got. There's certain buttons people push in all of our lives that are different from everybody else. I'm going to teach you what's best for you. And it's not just teaching you, not just telling you, but what's the scripture goes on? Who then what? 
directs you in the way you should go. Thank God for that. That's what parenting should be, right? A reflection of our Lord. It's not just telling the kid what they got to do and, and just teaching them, but we're also going to go off with them. We're going to direct them. We're going to share with them. We're going to be there with them in the way they should, they should go. And that's the reason why. That's the reason why we have the principles of the Scripture. That's the reason why the Lord lays those things out. Why? Those principles. Don't focus on the do's and the don'ts of Scripture so much as you focus on the principles of Scripture. Because the principle, how many times have I said this? The principles of Scripture reveal the person of our God. And if you're going to be transformed and changed and become more like Jesus in all things, then we have to read the, we have to read those laws. We have to read the do's and the don'ts. But we look for the principle behind that, those principles behind the precept. So ultimately we can apply that to our lives, that principle to our life. In doing so, we become more like Christ in all things. Amen. I want to teach you these principles are good for you. I didn't put those principles, I didn't give you the scripture to make your life difficult and more to be rough on you. I did it for your own good. I did it so you could, could have a good life, a better life. I want you to experience the best. So I'm going to teach you and direct you in a way. But then verse 18, he says, if only. Here he's saying, here's what I've done, the Redeemer. I'm your Redeemer. This is what I've done. I've given you rules. No, I've given you those principles of life so that you can live and have a better life and experience an, an overflowing life. If only. Those are probably the two hardest, saddest words in Scripture. God's saying, if only. Wow. This is what I had for you. I had plans to harm, if only. This is what I wanted for your life, if only. If only, he says. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. Your righteousness like the waves of the sea. If only. If only. He said, I wish you had obeyed my commands if you just Listen, your success, your good fortune would have been overflowing like, like a river, a, a flooding river. And I said, sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we forget that God wants our life to be overflowing with good fortune and success. And we approach it from the wrong way, though, because if you read the Scripture, you're going to find out the key to our success in life. The key to success in life is not some help, self-help seminar or watching some TV show on the problem of, YouTube in it and trying to figure out how to be done. The key to a successful life is found in that scripture. Pay attention to his commands. Just do what it says. Do what I told you to do. I want you to read the owner's manual. Figure it out. No, you don't have to figure it out on your own. Read the owner's manual. I tell you how it's wired, how it works. If you would just treat your body, the way I told you to treat it. It's for your own good. If you just treated sex the way I, 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 I tell you to do it, it would be for your own good. If you just treat money the way I tell you, it would be for your own good. If you would just listen to me. But you haven't. And you're missing out. And you're messing things up. Because you haven't listened to me. You haven't applied those principles. You haven't trusted me. You've abused and misused and perverted the good gifts that I've given you. If you would just, if you would just 
do what I tell you to do, you'd succeed in life. And I would define what succeed really truly is. The values. But you say, no, I got this figured out. I'm going to go on my own. I'll take care of this. I've got this feeling. I'm going to go with my heart. I I just got it. I got this intuition. I I just know. I know. Scripture says it's deceitful. Can't go by our emotions. I thank God for emotions. I thank God we worship and praise our emotions are involved. Praise God for that. But our emotions are based upon the fact of who our God truly is. It's an expression of our faith. Anytime God says, I want you to do it this way, and you go, well, I think I know a little better about this God. I've been here before. I've seen it happen. Listen to me. It's the point. You're doubting the goodness of our God. When you think you're going to make yourself happy by doing something different than the way God said it, I don't care how many experts say something different. Listen to me. It's going to cause all kinds of problems in your life. Say stress. Say overstressed. Overstrained. Overburdened. Overanxious. Overwhelming because you're doing it your way. Over, listen to me. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said this. We've used this. We recognize the passage. A thief comes to what? Still and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have life to the full. What? Have an overflowing life. Go from over being overwhelmed to overflowing. That's what he said. That's why I have come. 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 I have come that you can have real life. See, well, Pastor Buff, how do we how do we experience this overflowing life? Well, let's go over to John chapter 15, verse 5. A good passage of Scripture. It's there. Verse 5 says this, I am the vine, Jesus is talking here, and you are the branches. If a man remain, I love the verses because when God speaks, when Jesus is speaking, He always gives us keys to things. Insight. I am the vine, you are the branches. If, I love that little word if, if a man remains in me. When I read Scripture, that little word if shows up, I always kind of spend a little more time on it because there's something going on here. There's a condition somewhere here. He says, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And then he says that word apart. Apart from you cannot, you can't do anything. So I usually can. I I can. There's a lot of things you can do. But what you're doing brings sorrow and brings problems and circumstances in your life that you can't see beyond. What you're doing today, if it's not according to God's will and way, you're planting seed that's going to bring a harvest in, in a few weeks, months. I don't know when it's going to be, but it's going to bring you grief. He says, you can't do anything apart from me. He says, but if you stay connected, because he's saying this, you're a branch. He said, you're a branch and I'm the vine. If you stay connected to me, you're going to produce lots of fruit. Now, he's going to define the fruit. The fruit's not as necessarily defined by the things of this whole world. He said, but you're going to produce fruit. You can't do anything without me. If you're cut off from me, you're not going to do anything that is lasting, and that's important. The fruit we're to bear are lasting fruit. Things that last beyond one generation to the next. It impacts people's lives. Because if you try to go through life on your own power, you're going to be overwhelmed. You might have the finances, you might have the resources, but there's going to be a sense of overwhelming. A sense of being overwhelmed. Toaster. A toaster cannot, cannot, cannot 
fulfill its purpose unless it's plugged into some power. You get a toaster, you frustrate a toaster, putting the bread and stuff in there, putting a little thing down, it's not plugged in. That little toaster gets angry because he knows I can't do nothing unless you plug me in. I'm there, I got everything, but I don't have the power, I'm not connected. And then you look at a vacuum cleaner, it's the same thing. Stay connected to Jesus every day. Unless you're plugged into the power, you're not getting anywhere. You cannot fulfill your purpose unless you're plugged into the power. And if you're cut off like a grape branch from the vine, you're going to shrivel up and die. Oh, you may be walking around, but in this life you'd be like walking around a walking zombie. Just kind of going through the motions, kind of numb, not feeling anything. Just kind of cut off, doing whatever has to be done. You're not enjoying life. Well, Pastor Bob, how do I stay connected with Jesus on a, on a regular basis? I am so glad you asked. You got to spend time with him. You got to spend time with him. Remember a couple weeks ago, and it seems like it was just yesterday, but a couple weeks ago, we looked at verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Remember that? How do you stay connected? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my Every day when you get up, you need to sit up and read, take the Bible and begin to read a little bit of Scripture and talk with God a little bit. Talk to Him. You know what that's called? Talking to the Lord? It's called prayer. I know it's a tough situation, tough one, you know. Got to get a little doctrinal in the, It's prayer. We're talking about listening. You be quiet and you spend time. You spend time connected. You stay connected. And throughout the entire day, you review it. You go back over what you read and how you were praying, what you're thinking, what you're asking God to do in your life. You go over it again. And then John goes back. He said, if you remain in me, Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given unto you. That's John chapter 15, verse 7. Going back to it again. The idea is remain. And it'll be given unto you. I'm going to tell you something. When God blesses you, when God gives you some kind of blessing and you've got extra finance, whatever it might be, extra time in your life, listen, whatever God gives to you, He'll never add worry to it. So you might have a whole lot of stuff and think, oh, I'm blessed of God, but you're freaking out. You're overwhelmed by everything you're trying to maintain. Let me tell you, Scripture's pretty clear. When God brings blessing into your life and wealth, He adds no trouble to it. Proverbs in both ways, King James New and the NIV. The blessing of the Lord maketh, maketh rich. He addeth no sorrow with it. So if you've got a whole lot of stuff and you feel like you won and you got this and you got all, and the bank book's there, you know, and it's full and the house is gorgeous, listen to me, and you feel a little bit overwhelmed or a little bit worried about losing some stuff, it's not from God. Because when the Lord blesses you, He adds no trouble to it. You rejoice in that. It's used. It's, you become a servant, a, a steward of what God has given you. You use it for His glory. Because you recognize it's His. How many times I've said it? My vehicles, whatever I have, I believe it's the Lord's. So if someone runs into my car and dents it, I say, Lord, look what they did to your car. Hope you got insurance. Because, <laughs> bummer. It's His. I'm a steward of whatever He's put in my hand use. And I use it to His glory. Stay connected to the Lord every single day of our lives. He said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. There's a connection there. Remain in me and my words remain in you. Look what He says. Ask 
<laughs> Notice this. Ask what you will, and what? It'll be done unto you. Ask what it... Oh, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be given unto you. Whoa, I'm talking prosperity now. You ought to be happy about that. What a promise. If those words remain in me. You remain in me, my words. Ask. If my word stays connected to you, he says. How do you do that? How do you stay connected with the Lord? There's one word that reveals it called meditation. Now, I'm not talking about the lotus position. Where you have to empty your mind and have think of nothing. <laughs> when you empty your mind, think of nothing, the evil one will fill something in. So it's not like that, okay? So when I say meditation, some people get the idea, you know, oh, well, that's pretty cool. You know, that's new age stuff, man. That's Eastern meditation. You're sitting there in a lotus position, and your hands out like this, and you're contemplating a lint in your navel. Listen, it's got nothing to do with the things of our God. Meditation. Meditation simply means that I'm seriously thinking about what God's Word says. Meditation is, here's what God says, I take that verse of Scripture, I read it, and I think about it over and over and over again. That's meditation. Taking God's Word, a verse of Scripture, and, and thinking about it over and over and over again. That's meditation. Let me ask a question. How many of you know how to worry? good news in that. If you know how to worry, listen to me, you're already a pro at meditation. It's true. If you know how to worry, then you're already a pro at meditation. Amen. You just take that, you know, you take that negative subject, whatever it might be, and you go it over and over and you roll it over and over in your mind, right? That's called worry. Now you take the verse of Scripture from the Bible and you go over and over in your mind. It's called meditation. It's true. I'm not stepping out of doctrine. It's true. So if you're good at worrying, you're going to be, a, you're going to be great at meditation. In fact, some of you, in the sound of my voice, are professional meditators. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> he said, if, if, if my word remains in you, meditate on that word. You heard it? Now you meditate upon it. And he goes on to say, you can ask what you, whatever you wish, and it'll be given unto you. And somebody said, oh, Pastor Bob, I like that. Oh, listen, it's about time you started preaching that kind of thing. That's, you're, you're talking my talk right now. Oh, yeah, I like this idea. I'm going to be able to, you're, oh, wow, it's like a blank check from heaven. And then you say, well, wait a minute. I've been praying a lot. Look, and God do a lot of different things, and nothing's coming up. I, I, you know, I don't Wait a minute, I don't see a lot of answers. And the reason why you don't see the answers is because you're not connected. He said, he said, what? If you remain in me and my words remain, then you can ask. You've got to be connected to him. Connected to his word. So you're not getting the answers to prayers because you're not connected. And so what do we do? We bring it before our God. We don't see anything happening and we go all about and do our own thing. We kind of kind of have it happen. We make it happen. When was the last time you spent an extended period of time just alone with God? When was the last time you got before him and said, hey, hey God, is there anything you want to tell me? 
We spend time before Lord, oh Lord, we tell him everything going on in our life, all the problems, things we've got to have changed in our life. Do this, Lord, do that. We kind of command him, etc. And then we get up from prayer and we walk away. And we give him three or four minutes and say, he ain't done nothing yet. When was the last time you just simply said, Lord, is there anything you want to tell me? As you have his word open. Because the blessing will flow from our God so long as his word is open. You close his book, there's no blessing coming. Can't be. You have his word. When was the last time you got alone with God for more than just two minutes? Because listen to me, if you're not connected and you're cut off from the vine, and there's no way you're going to have any fruit in your life. According to what Jesus said, you're cut off, and therefore because you're cut off, you're, going, you're not going to be overflowing, you're going to be overwhelmed. And the more you're connected to Him, the more fruit you're going to bear. And the more fruit you're going to bear, the more success you're going to have in your life and the more good fortune. God says you're going to you're going to have a life. A life. A real life. But you're going to have to stay connected to me. That's a simple principle. A simple principle that's so, so often overlooked. Stay connected to our Lord. Stay connected. So, that's the first. That's the first way of <laughs> receiving the blessing of our God. The first way of experiencing the life that's overflowing is stay connected on a daily basis to Christ. Second one is this. Stop griping and grumbling and start being grateful. Did you know? Science has proven that complaining and griping are both unhealthy for you. It's been proven. But gratitude study will tell you it's the healthiest emotion you can have. You want to be healthy? You, you, you want to, then you need to learn gratitude. Because what gratitude does, it changes the chemistry in your brain. Amen. It produces a serotonin and, and, and dopamine in your brain and, and it gives you this good hormone kind of thing going on. And some folks, they don't have that because they're not grateful and so therefore they take other things to try to get that thing going. And all it does is cause you trouble. Puts an addiction on you that you, you're going to fight and kill you. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. You ought to get up in the morning. Listen to me now. Listen to me. Get up in the morning before you get out of bed and I want you to go over in your mind ten things that you're grateful for. Because it'll change your brain. Next time a person looks at you and says, you got out of the wrong side of the bed, you don't know why. You weren't thinking about what God has blessed you with. You got out of the wrong side of the bed, go back to bed, think about some things. I don't care, three, four, ten things that you can be grateful for, amen. And you can say, it could be a little thing, God, thank you for air. Thank you for this bed, Lord. I'm grateful that right this moment I'm not at war. I might be in a few moments, but right now I'm not. Thank you, Lord. And here's what the Scripture says. Do everything without complaining or arguing. That's what Philippians says. Wow. Let me ask you this. What do you complain about? And don't look at the person side of you. Don't tell me. What do you complain about? Whatever you complain about, does it help you? Complain about the weather. Does it change the weather? Complain about the way you look. Does it change the way you look? Complain about your spouse or your children or your job or anything else. Does all that complaining and all, all that grumbling, does it change anything? In fact, the bottom line is this grumbling and complaining is just a waste of time. It's just, it's stewing out without doing a thing. It's worthless. 
doing what I'm doing. Every now and then, you know, anointing comes. I don't know. It's there. It works. <laughs> it's probably a, that's a godly principle, Nancy. <laughs> Look what happens. We get caught up like that and we falls apart in our life. It's just a waste of time. Look what Scripture says in, second, in, in Colossians chapter 2. Rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you, we were, ta- as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Start being grateful. A recent study showed that if in the morning you get up, the first thing you do is send an email of gratitude to somebody you love or somebody who's helped you, you actually lower the stress level for the rest of your day. It kicks off these chemicals that are released in your body. So listen, folks, get up in the morning and send an email. Giving thanks in all circumstances for God's, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I want you to hear that. We always spend time before the Lord. Oh, what is God's will for my life? We ask people, what do you think God's will for my life is? And we find out, we look, we ask, what is God's will for my life? About about marriage, maybe, or career, or school? What's God's will for my life? What's he want me to do? Well, there it is. It's there. God's will for your life is in everything. Give thanks. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. Why? The very first thing God wants is for us to give thanks. Why in the world would he, he, he teach you step two if you haven't done step one? We want God's information. We want his will for career, marriage, like I said, family, whatever it might be, finances. We're saying, God, God, I need your will for this. And he says, well, well, wait a minute. I gave you step one. You jumped over step one. You're looking for step two. Listen, why don't you start where, where I start you? Why don't you start with just being grateful in everything? That's my will. Start there. If you get that together, then I'll answer the other stuff. And we'll move on to step two, step three, step four, step... We'll go on. But you got to get one thing at a time. You know, we talk in marriage counseling, we go through this, this list of, of wants, you know, needs. The husband has, that a wife have. You know, we go back and forth. And it goes from adoration. It goes all... It does include sex. It includes everything, finance, and security, all kinds of things. And you put a number on that. What's more important? And we say very clearly... What's the number one for the husband and what's the number one for the wife? And I say this, until, until you get number one going, don't expect the person to, to respond to number two. Get one first and then everything else begins to follow. And God's doing the same thing. He said, the very first thing I tell you what my will is, my will is that you be grateful in all things and if you can't get that right, why are you asking me for anything else? What's my specific will? In everything, give thanks. If you're not doing that, and I've already told you, why should I do anything more? Amen. Third step, stop comparing yourself to other people. And start being content. A little cookie, sighing because those guys are much cooler than he is. We do that sometimes, don't we compare? We compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves to, wow. Wow. And what God is saying this, he's saying, I want you to understand. I created you. Stop comparing yourself with other people and, and start being content. Every single time we compare ourselves to somebody else, we, it's a fool's waste of time. God doesn't want you to be anybody else. He doesn't. Because when you start being somebody else, you become envious, etc. You get resentful, and you try to copy the other person, and God says, wait a minute, I don't make clones. 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Look what he says here, Paul says. Why do we dare? We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with anyone who commend, who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. Paul says we don't make the mistake of comparing ourselves to other people because when we do, we're fools. And yet we do. We compare other people with our looks, compare other people's lawns to our lawn, our kids, etc. And the Bible says stop being so foolish. Some of you actually need a, a social media fast. Close it up. Who makes a difference? Who, or who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Serious question. You want to live healthy? You want to live a little bit longer? A heart that's at peace. Gives life to the body. And what does envy do? It rots. It rots the bone. It rots the bone. It rots the bones. Better a handful of what? Tranquility than two handfuls of what? Toil and chasing after the wind. Chasing after the wind. Paul would say this. Paul would say, I have learned. What he said, I have learned to be content. And whatever the circumstance I'm in, I've learned to be content. He said, I had to learn it. Didn't come natural. It doesn't come. Listen, we're not naturally contented, content people. No, we're not. You know, we're not. And because we're not, it creates a, a lot of overwhelmingness in our lives. And there's one more, and then we'll bring it to a hold. Stop being stingy and start being generous. Stinginess and evidence of what? Of a short Shortage mindset. A constant fear of poverty. Now we have to be stewards. We have stewards of what God wants us to have. Amen? But you got to listen to me. He wants us. You know, we get some people, they'll have a, they'll have a um, remember this? Whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly, right? Sow generously, you reap generously, right? Because what does God love? A cheerful giver. You got a package of seeds, right? There's like 200 seeds in this thing, maybe some more. And you take one little seed out and you plant one little seed because you don't want to lose the other ones. You've got to protect the other ones, okay? What's going to happen? You're going to lose the other ones anyways. The only way you get a harvest is if you plant all the seeds and then you're going to multiply. I take one kernel of corn, I plant it in the ground. What do I receive? One kernel of corn? No, I get a whole bunch of kernels of corn. You plant what God gives you, use it towards glory, you're a steward of it, and God blesses, amen. He blesses. Whoever, share, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For God loves a cheerful giver. Do you have a shortage mentality or do you have a surplus mentality? We need a new mindset, new results. Ever wondered why you don't have enough? Remember Daniel? Daniel, Israel was, was taken captive in Babylon for 70 years. And God tells the Israelites, you want to go back to your country there, go back home there, and I want you to put first things first. I want you to, I want you to reestablish, I want you to rebuild the temple. Rebuilding a temple that was a symbol of worship. That comes first. God comes first in your life. And there's a whole book that's, that's dedicated to this. The mixed priorities in their lives. Look what Haggai says this. And God says that you have, the prophet says, you have planted much and have what? Harvest little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have you're never full. You put on clothes, but then but you're not warm. You earn wages, but they're, it's like you put it into a purse with a hole in it. What, and the problem was this. The problem was that they didn't build the house of worship first. 
They didn't put first things first. And they're doing all this other stuff to try to bless themselves, keep things going, and it wasn't enough. They had plenty, but it wasn't enough. And he says, and the reason why, the reason why all that's happening is because I'm withholding my blessing. Could this be the reason why you're overwhelmed instead of overflowing? Why you feel like you don't have enough? Because you haven't put up the house of God first in worship. You haven't put it first. Look at the challenge. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. That, I may, that you may have food in, your, in my house. Test me and see, the Lord Almighty says. It's a challenge. Look at the challenge he's making. And see if and I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have enough room for it. Jesus spoke the same kinds of words. He said, give and it'll be given unto you good measure. Look at that. Pressed down, shaken together. He's talking about packed down and shaken. Running over. It'll pour out into your lap. For the measure you use, it'll be also measured to you. And then Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. When he touched their eyes, he said to them, according to your faith, it'll be done to you. According to your faith. According to your faith. There's that challenge. If we're tired of being overwhelmed with this shortage mindset, where we figure we don't have enough time, money, or energy, etc. Let me ask you, what are you lacking? What do you need more of? I challenge you this morning to commit yourself to those four daily habits that we, just looked, we looked at for an overflowing life. Be able to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to I be connected to you every single day of my life. I'm going to be like that vine in the branch. I want to bear fruit. I want to stay connected. Number two, I'm going to start complaining. I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to start being grateful for what I do have. Just help me. Help me to, to find things to be grateful for every day. I'm going to be grateful. Not grumpy. I'm grateful. Not complaining. Not griping. Grateful. I have to be, Lord. I want to be. I must be. And I'm going to stop. Lord, help me to stop comparing myself to other people. I can start being satisfied. I don't want to live my life for approval of other people. Help me to be me, not anybody else. And last but not least, help me to stop being stingy. Start being generous. Generous, not just with money. Generous with my time, my talent. Generous across the board, every year of my life. If you're having experienced an overwhelmed life, it's because of these problems in these areas that you're neglecting. And he wants us to live in overwhelming. No, no an overflowing life. And we do this because we know He is good. And we know He wants the best for us. We need to pray that kind of prayer in His name. Can you say amen? And amen. The altars are open. Let's spend some time before the Lord. I want to remember to pray for Brother Sebi. 